Uh, we're talking today about our potential maximized. Our potential maximized. We have 10 core values, and one of them deals with maximizing our potential. Here is how it reads if you look it up on the website. Would you read out loud with me and realize the first two words are, we believe. So say this with passion because it's what we believe. Okay, so let's go. We believe. Talents, abilities, resources. Fully develop. Use these gifts. Maximizing and our community. And there are verses we'll refer to in this message. I love that value as we wordsmithed and prayed about that back in the, the mid-90s. Uh, they are gifts. It's things that are given to us, but the question is, what are you going to do with it? And uh, when it comes to potential, it's one thing that we all have in common. All right? You've got potential. I've got potential. Potential is basically uh, capable of being or becoming. It's what's ahead of us. All right, so turn to, and just look at three or four people and just say, you've got potential. Just tell them, you've got potential. You've got potential. You've got potential. And last Tuesday, we had a, a breakfast. We have it every other month. We'll have it again in November for people that went to the Leadership Summit. People want to raise their leadership game. And uh, we, we studied from a book uh, from the founder of Hobby Lobby. And uh, he differentiates in, for Christians uh, the, the lives that we live. In James, it says, uh, you know, don't be foolish for you say, okay, tomorrow we're going to go here and there and do business, make a profit. Uh, don't do that with such certainty that you fail to realize that your life is here today, gone tomorrow. It's a vapor. And, and at the same time, so we live a vapor life. It's this earthly life. And whether you've got 40, 50, 70, 90 years or more, uh, the older I get, I can tell you the faster that it goes. All right. Uh, but it's a vapor life. It is here today, gone tomorrow. And so he talks about the foolishness of spending all of our potential on a vapor. The Bible also says that, that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, won't perish, will have eternal life. So as a Christian, I'm living a vapor life in the context of an eternal life. And so when we talk about maximizing your potential, it would be ludicrous to, to maximize your potential only for your vapor life. So think in terms of both my vapor life and my eternal life and how are you maximizing the potential there. So the first question, uh, basically, what comes natural? What have you learned and developed? And what do you have? Because that basically are, is your talents, your abilities, and your resources. Talents are special natural abilities or aptitudes. They, you just kind of come by it naturally. And you've got talents I don't have and vice versa, things that just come naturally to you. It's uphill climb for me. Abilities are competencies uh, because of one's skill and training and learning. I remember when I was in my undergrad, uh, I did a double major in management and biblical studies. And uh, in the management uh, courses, I had to take a lot of accounting and whatnot. And accounting one, accounting two, we were in semesters then, I just could not get the debit credit thing. Okay, anybody else struggle with that in accounting? You know, it just, just took me forever. Finally, it clicked, okay? Uh, and then I had to take accounting two and then uh, managerial accounting and whatnot. And then my MBA, I kind of got the feel for it. And so now, you know, income statements, balance sheets, I'm, I'm a bottom line kind of guy. I have, uh, I have an ability with that uh, that I have learned, but it didn't come natural. Whereas some of you are just gifted in that. And then finally, resources. Uh, it is a source of supply that can be readily drawn upon when needed. All of us have resources. How many of you have time? Not a trick question. Raise your hand if you're living in the present. You have time, all right? 
You have energy, okay? And the older you get, you might have less, but you've still got energy. And you have money. All right, how many have money? Okay. Wouldn't it be funny if God said, if you're not going to admit it, I'm going to take it away. <laughs> I didn't say you have money. We all have money, all right? Now, here, just for fun, how many of you have only digital currency? You do not have one piece of paper or metal money with you. Let me see your hand. Okay, it's, yeah, it's all the young folk, okay? You're, you're there in that economy, okay? But I want to talk about maximizing your potential, and I want to talk about, we're going to talk about all these. Let me unpack your resources, your financial resources first. And uh, we're using an illustration uh, that if you've been around CLC very long, you've heard it. This is called the pipes, yeah. And if you're new to Christian Life Center, let me just kind of help you with it. These pieces of pipe represent a percentage of your income. These are 10%, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. These are half that, 75, 80, 85, 90, 95. This is 2, 97, 98, 99, 100. We have this in common. You do, I do. We have the same thing. We have 100% of our income, whether it's a little or a lot. That's what you've got. The good news is the Bible, God's word, tells us what to do with our money to maximize our potential, both in your vapor life and your eternal life. Far too many people do not maximize their financial potential in both those lives, but you can. So let's look at what the Bible says to do with your stuff. So first of all, would you say pay your taxes? Smile when you say that, no. <laughs> um, and so... Very easily, 10%, 20%, 25%, 28% can go to taxes or more. If you live in Montgomery County, they're going up some more because they just said your house is worth even more, right? I hated that letter in the mail, didn't you? So anyways, but pay your taxes. Jesus said, pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, pay to God the things that are God's. And it's not a give, it's a pay, all right? The second area, would you say Giving. And uh, the Bible talks a lot about giving. It uses the phrase tithes and offering. The word tithe literally means tenths. So we start with 10% of our income we give to God. There's a couple more here. It could be way more than that, but tithes and offerings. And Paul says uh, to the one who sows sparingly, they'll reap sparingly. The one who sows generously, they'll reap generously. Uh, each one must do just as he has purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And if you're there like, oh, Gray's going to ask for money. Um, if, you, if you just hate to give, don't give. God's not going to go broke if you don't give. All right? Uh, he's got ways around that. Uh, it's kind of like when it's your birthday. If somebody goes, well, I don't you know it's your birthday. I have to give you something. All right? Wouldn't that feel great? No. God loves a cheerful giver. And when we realize that it's good for my, my vapor life and my eternal life, it's easier to do. Okay, the next category is, okay, I'm not doing all the work here, okay? It is, there we go, all right, good, savings. Dave Ramsey and everybody before him, after him says you ought to save at least 10%, pay yourself, as they say. Uh, the Bible says in, in Proverbs 21, 20, there is precious treasure and oil in the house of the wise. A foolish man swallows it up. It is foolish to live paycheck to paycheck. You might say, well, they can't afford not to. Well, there's a solution to that coming over here, all right? But we should be able to save. Uh, if nothing else, things wear out, they break, uh, they get stolen, they grow obsolete. Uh, the last time we bought a washer and dryer, the, the salesman did not say, this is the last washer and dryer you're ever going to have to buy. Uh, if they say that to you, you look really old, all right? Just kind of the way it is. So stuff has to be replaced. You're going to retire, okay? So, so save. And then the, the, the next category, would you say? 
All right, there you go, lifestyle. And uh, here is the first aha moment that people have when I lay out the pipes. If you do the math, you realize what I have left to live on is 10, 20, 30%. 35, 40, 45, 50%. I have half of my salary to live on. No wonder it's tight. And yet it's very possible. A lot of us have learned to do this. Uh, and Paul talks about it in Philippians 4. He says, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I learned it. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. Say, learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. And so wherever you are in life, you can, if you learn contentment, you can make your lifestyle work. And if you just don't have enough, then, then, then narrow the lifestyle, tighten it up, and the ends will meet. And Jesus says something in Luke that's really important. Uh, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when someone has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Remember, as a believer, you have two lives you're living here. You're living a vapor, a vapor life that's here today, gone tomorrow, and an eternal life. Maximize your potential. What's really incredible, what's really crazy, is that what you do with stuff and with your money can impact your life for eternity. That's an investment. Now, there's one more category that most Americans are all too familiar with. Would you say debt? And studies show that the average American can easily spend about 30% of their disposable income servicing their unsecured consumer debt, like your MasterCard and your Visa and your whatever card that gives you points and paybacks and all that stuff, all right? Um, and that, that sounds like a lot, but really think about payday and you have your check and what you get, and about a third of it's gone by the time you just pay off those cards. And uh, people get trapped here. One of my concerns, uh, I haven't done a deep dive into the stats, but as from when COVID hit, did you notice everything went up? Okay. I mean, it's incredible how much it costs just to go to the grocery store uh, from groceries to gasoline. It's just crazy. I was thrilled that I spent two ninety nine a gallon on gas yesterday. All right. Kroger's and what's the new one in Huber Heights? Sheets. Kroger's and Sheets are competing. Yay. All right. Um, but imagine for me as a baby boomer, the shock I'm in, okay, I have to give myself CPR at the gas pump because when I started driving, I could buy gas for 31 cents a gallon. Say, wow, he's old, okay. Uh, anyways, but what happened, I think, is that during COVID, we didn't say, whoa, prices are going up and gas is more expensive. Let's tighten our belt and change our lifestyle. No, you know what we did? We just swiped more. And now consumer debt is going up again. It's going to create a problem for us in the near future. And there are three myths that really contribute to, uh, to, to sustaining debt. One is that things make you happy. Number two is that debt's unavoidable. And three, a little more money would solve your problem. Well, let's just kind of, let's just hit, take care of those myths right now, okay? First of all, how many of you can look back on your past and remember really happy memories, what we call the good old days? Can I see your hand, all right? How many of you had less stuff and made less money back then? So money and stuff is not equated with my great happiness. How many of you make more money than you used to? Let me see your hand. All right. How many of you still have problems in life? So more money didn't solve your problems. Okay. So those are myths. And, and, and I won't ask for a show of hands, but many of us are living debt free. So debt is avoidable. 
So what happens and the problem comes and that people will say, again, I'm preaching, I'm preaching to, to Christ's followers here. I'm preaching to people who want to live by God's word. They'll say, you know, I'd love to save. I know all the talk, but I can't afford to save. And so they, they, they cheat themselves. And that's just a perpetuating cycle then because the next time you have a flat tire, you got to go into more debt. We have to whatever. So it's just, it, you know, chicken or the egg. And then the other problem that happens uh, is that they say, Pastor Sam, I would love to tithe, but I can't. And they rob God, the Bible says. This, this paradigm right here, God does not think highly of. In fact, he hates it. And Malachi, Malachi is a guy who comes out swinging as a prophet. Read, it's the last book of the Old Testament. And, and he says on behalf of God, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're robbing me. He says, you're cursed with a curse, the whole nation of you. And then he says, but test me now in this. One of the few times he says that. And test me now. Put me first and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing too great for you to contain. And it's funny. Uh, it happens every time I preach the pipes. People that, that, that live the pipes go, oh, thank you for preaching that again. And they say, I remember the first time I heard it and I was doing this. And if this is you, as quickly as you can, Get obedient, get fair to yourself, avoid debt, and you will find that this is a lifestyle that God can bless. What's cool about this is it also, and again, if I, Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. How many of you ever had something big stolen in your past? I remember it was Christmas way back in the day. We had an 88 Pontiac, and it was two years old. That was probably my favorite car we ever had. And we went up to Northeast Ohio for Christmas to visit family. And before we came back to Akron, we left the kids at Joyce's parents' house, and we went to Lewin High's Delicatessen. Ugh. Corned beef to die for. Well, not, not to die for, but, you know, anyway. Uh, and uh, we had a great meal, and, and it was in the, in the wintertime. When I parked my car in the back lot, there was one other car. It was all snow. And when I came out, all I said was, where's our car? It's a horrible feeling. Thieves can break in and steal stuff. And so you learn to hold things loosely. But what's cool, Jesus said, don't lay up treasures for yourself here. I won't even ask for a show of hands. How many ever got beat up in the stock market? Okay, that's pretty unanimous. Don't lay up treasures here, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. What? I can do things with my earthly finances to impact my eternal life? You absolutely can. And when you live like this, you can also afford to do it. So, you know, this takes some challenge and some doing, but I saw someone between services, oh, I'm so glad you preached the pipes. Boy, we're living that way. It makes all the difference in the world. And you can afford to be generous and compassionate and lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Now, as part of CLC, we have partners all across the city and around the world. And I don't know about you. I don't know who's doing what, who's drilling wells and who's fighting human trafficking and who's doing the pro-life stuff and who's helping bring people out of poverty. But I want to invest that way. And so as part of CLC, uh, when we give 25% of what we give in our general fund goes to other ministries across the city and around the world. 
Talk about maximize your potential. And one of the ministries we partner with uh, is Victory Project. And so I want you to watch this and realize how this ministry, uh, not far from Children's Hospital, uh, is maximizing the potential of young men and how your giving maximizes that. Watch this. It really comes down to basic elements that we need to have in society. Young people need a sense of belonging. Young people need a sense that they can achieve. Young people need to have a sense of power and control of their lives. Uh, some term that word independence, but it really means how do you learn to be responsible as an adult to take responsibility. A lot of time, they don't even know how to dream. Like when they dream, they're still confined to that box or that bubble. You can imagine a child coming into this world and all they see is brokenness. Well, unfortunately, their comfort is going to be brokenness. Before Victory Project, I was getting in a lot of trouble, a lot of fights in school, uh, just hanging around the wrong people, not even going to school half the time. And you know, my mom was trying to get to the root of the problem. I didn't, I didn't really have my dad in 2010. He got into a situation, he got 20 years. he get out in 2030s. You know, it's so easy to fall in the, oh, I'm gonna make some money quick. Or, you know, I don't have any money, so how am I gonna get this or that? I used to be a hothead. I used to be able to get mad very easily at the smallest things. Most kids that I see out on the street really don't have opportunity. I think I had a general sense, but didn't know how. You know, and didn't really have any tool or resources to. That's why a lot of the programs don't work is because they only do maybe one part of it, right? They might do interrupt the violence, which is great. I mean, we definitely will need it. But then do you change somebody's heart? If you don't, that, the, the minute that you're gone, that comes back. And I would sit down in a, in a detention center and say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm trying to do. And I'd hear over and over again the same story. I would hear, I want a job. I want to work. I need to make money. I want a new group of friends. Uh, a lot of my friends are running the streets. I don't want to get caught up in the system. I want to help my mom. She's struggling. And we'll do better in school. And for Victory Project, we say it's less about what we do and more about what we undo. Really try to encourage these young men that, you know, God's blessed them with gifts within. And we talk about it a lot in this environment that we just try to set the space and the freedom for them to realize a lot of things they already have within them. What we're doing is breaking the pillars of poverty. Those are kids who drop out of high school, getting criminal history, having a baby prior to marriage. Studies have shown that's what perpetuates generational poverty. We address it through our curriculum, which is based on the three E's, education, entrepreneurship, and enlightenment. And the Victory Project to me is the best project that I've seen that puts all the research together in one place. I haven't seen a model like this anywhere else in the world. And, and what Victory Project does by having adults surrounding these kids is they may have grown up hearing that you're hopeless, useless, you're worthless, you're never going to amount to anything, you're never going to be better than what your father was. But when they have adults that, the, that have taken the time to know them, to build trust with them, and they start to speak truth into them and say, you can achieve, you can do these things. They believe them. They're a lot happier, especially my older one. He's not always in his room with the door shut wanting to play the game anymore. He's out and about doing stuff with the family, doing stuff in the neighborhood with the other boys. They all go to church together now, so 
He seems a lot happier now. For the future, I want to go to Bowie State. I want to do law. I want to be a lawyer. I really like construction. I like working on my hands. It really just opens doors. Just being around the people here, like how positive the people are, it made me like want to be here. And overall, it's helped me just become a better person. Like I said, I've learned so much from Victory Project. It's such a big pivot for me in my life. I think uh, I was heading down such a bad road. I think if I never would have stepped in here, it's gave me the foundation for like everything I've done now from going to Trace. That's the only reason I'm a welder now is because uh, we went on that trip to Hobart. So it made all the difference. God has called us to be light and not just, you know, our own man-made light, but a light that only he can fulfill and to see them flourish I mean, you can't ask for anything better than that. Talk about maximizing potential as young men. And I texted Monty because I knew the stat, but it just didn't, it sounded too good to be true. I said, now help me be sure I'm saying this correctly. University of Dayton did research on VP. And they determined that every one of your graduates, and they have a 97% success rate, every one of your graduates who graduates because they don't go into the system, whether it's the criminal justice system or into the welfare system, that UD determined it saves society almost a million dollars per graduate over their lifetime. He said yes. You talk about maximizing. So what do you do with your money? Well... I happen to give my money and it goes through CLC to places like Victory Project and we are saving society a million dollars a year as we're saving the lives and the futures of young men. That's maximizing the potential of your resources for your eternal life. All right, so what do you expect to do with them? All right. Um, what do you expect to do with your talents and your abilities and your resources? And Ephesians chapter 3 is a verse you've heard lots because I quote it a lot, but it's one of my favorites. And the Apostle Paul says, To him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power of the Holy Spirit that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The potential he wants you to maximize, the potential we live for is to be part of building the same kingdom that Jesus came to establish in our hearts and calls us to perpetuate across our world. So when we talk about maximizing your potential, uh, let's go back to the series we did a while back out of 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I wish that you would flourish and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Uh, let's talk about total life competence, total life maximizing. And so it talks about your, your career success, your impact on your community, your neighborhood. It talks about, uh, likewise, maximizing your personal health as well as your spiritual well-being, emotional well-being, relational well-being, and your impact here in the church. Start with physical health. What are you doing to maximize your potential of this? It's a gift from God. And boy, you realize what a gift it is when you don't have it. And so every time I force myself to go to Planet Fitness when I don't feel like it, I have someone echoing in my head on who said it first, uh, the first time I heard it. They said, spend time now uh, sustaining your health or spend time later trying to regret your health or regain your health. And so I'd rather sustain it than try to regain it. 
And even a little bit does a lot. So don't be overwhelmed that all you got to do. No, every little bit counts to maximize your physical well-being. What are you doing about your emotional well-being and your mental well-being? We did a series earlier this year about um, mental and emotional health. Lots of practices that can be done there. You can go back and see that. I think it was in February and March. And, and your spiritual well-being, your spiritual impact. And to maximize all of those things, uh, Zig Ziglar says that your attitude determines your altitude. And boy, that is so true. There are very few people I know that are hugely successful that have a rotten attitude. I guess we'll give this a try. Yeah, it's probably not going to, no. No, attitude is key. And let me read for you some, some uh, rapid-fire quotes, most of them from John Maxwell, the king of attitude talk. Um, attitude to me is more important than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, and than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. Attitude will make or break a company, a church, or a home. Attitude is a choice. Turn to three people and just mouth the words, it's a choice. Just tell them, it's a choice. The primary limitation in life is our low expectations for ourselves and others. When we expect minimum results, that's usually what we get. And this is interesting. People may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. Well, that's true. Some of with a bad attitude, that kind of the shop back of the soul we talked about. Man, there's... But people with a positive attitude that are optimistic, well, you kind of want, want to be around those kinds of people. Another thought, why do achievers overcome problems while thousands of others are overwhelmed by theirs? They refuse to hold on to the common excuses for failure. They turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones. They realize that they couldn't determine every circumstance in life, but they could determine their choice of attitude towards every circumstance. You can't pick all your circumstances. You can't even change all your circumstances. But you can choose how you think about how you respond to your circumstances. Think about something going good in life right now and inform your face, like smile. Okay? Something going good, right? Buckeyes won last night. Not a tough team, but they won. Hey, okay, all right, so, all right. Browns won last week. I'm still smiling, okay? I'm afraid Monday's coming. All right, so think about something going not so good in your life and still smile. Catch it? All right. You have a choice. Say it. You have a choice. Say, I choose my attitude. So we're going to do some attitude practice right here. Okay? Everybody stand up. Don't you dare groan. This is attitude practice. All right? Oh, I can't wait. Okay, get into a group of like, now trust me, you don't want to do this like just you and one other person because what I'm going to ask you, you might not be good at. Get in a group of like three to six people. Don't go more than six. Three to six. Just go on. Huddle up. If you see somebody by themselves, call them over. Don't let them be by themselves. All right, good. You're all huddling up. All right, you guys. Two groups. This is too many. Split in two groups. That's it. Good. All right. You ready? All right, repeat after me. I blew it. I'm such a loser. Say it again all in one sentence. I blew it. I'm such a loser. Now, somebody in your group, restate that with a better attitude. Go. Maybe a couple of you. All right, a couple of tries. 
I have, I've read that when Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, he had like a thousand failed experiments and somebody asked him, how did it feel to fail a thousand times? What did he say? I didn't fail a thousand times. I learned a thousand ways it didn't work. All right, so, all right, here's another one. Why is everything so hard? But let's say it's just a little bit woe is me-ish. Like, why is everything so hard? I hate to tell you, you're good at that, by the way. All right? Somebody restate that in a positive way with a better attitude. Go on. couple of you. I like, I like what John Maxwell says in that regard. Everything worthwhile in life is uphill. Can I get an amen to that? All right, last one. Yeah. yeah. But you don't understand what I have to deal with. Now, see, this is already somebody trying to encourage them, and the pessimist is standing their ground. Yeah, but you don't understand what I have to deal with. Go. Now, say something optimistic to them about what they're going to get out of this service, all right? Like, hey, this is for you. You can do this, whatever. Say something optimistic and then have a seat. Go on. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Another question, as we drill into maximizing our potential, if you want to maximize your, the potential of your talents, your abilities, and your resources, what intentionality do you bring to it? Because it doesn't just happen. You don't get to there, I don't know how I got here. And let's drill into a story that Jesus told. It's a parable, which means it's, a, it's an illustration with, with a, a symbolic meaning. He's telling a series of parables in Matthew 25 about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, I came to establish that kingdom in men's hearts. And so here's what he says about heaven in this parable, this story with symbolic meaning. For it, heaven, so think about heaven. Heaven is just like a man about to go on a journey. So he's talking symbolism here. Who's the man about to go on a journey? Say Jesus. Because at the Last Supper, he told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you, heaven, so that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go to prepare a place for you, he says, I will come again to receive you to myself, so where I am, there you may be also. So he's talking about himself in this story. He's got himself in mind while he talks about this man about to go on a journey. And he and called his own slaves, say slaves. Who are the slaves? Us. Who are the slaves? Us. 
I think I forget that sometimes. He's the master. I'm the slave. Based on my prayers and my attitudes, I tend to act like he's here to serve me. He called his slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Whoa. And next verse. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Each according to his own ability. Say, according to my ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who, who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. Say immediately and clap your hands. Immediately. <laughs> Bang. Go. In the same manner. Say same manner. Same. Clap your hands again. <laughs> Boom. The one who received two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money. Now, as we read that story and unpack it, interestingly, the original language there, for some reason, that word immediately is urgency like a sea rescue. So we got to do something or they're going down. There is an urgency about it. And Jesus told this story, hey, guys, I'm the master. You're the slaves. I'm leaving and I'm going to entrust to you my possessions. And so when we accept Christ, he entrusts, he places within us the Holy Spirit. We have Christ within us, the hope of glory. He has given you, last week we talked about every Christian has spiritual gifts and abilities for the common good. He's given you spiritual gifts. He has given you abilities that you learn and you grow in opportunities. And he has given you resources. He has given you time. He has given you money. He has given you energy. He's given you relationships. He's given you opportunities. And he expects you to maximize your potential because he is the master and you and I are his slaves. Get that straight. And so you read the story. Man, the guy who had five, immediately he went, he used his skill sets. He traded. He was a trader. And he got five more. The guy that had two used his skills, his ability, and got two more. And the guy that had one just had one. Just kept it. Did nothing to cultivate it. And I'm afraid way more Christians today can relate to the guy with one than realize it because they're doing nothing to cultivate it or bring a return. Well, why does it matter? And understand, we're talking about your vapor life and your eternal life. You got a life that's here today, gone tomorrow. And when you're done, when your vapor life is over, they'll figure out who gets all your stuff. And then there's the eternal life that goes on forever. And you can invest things from your vapor life into your eternal life. Keep all that in mind. So why does it matter? Because Matthew 25, 19, he goes on in the story. And what does he say? Jesus said, now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Say he settled up. Now Jesus knew when he told this, I'm going to be gone a long time. It's been 2,000 years. But I'm still going to keep my promise and I'm still coming back. And 2 Corinthians 5 says, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for our deeds in the body, whether good or bad. He is coming back to settle up. And so we learn something about this settling up from the, from the slave that got one and hid one and returned no, no return. Let me read it for you. It's not on the screen. The one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master. Now, understand, this is Jesus saying this whole story. He's making up the storyline. He's telling the story about himself. He is the master. This is me. I want you to understand what I'm like, what you're like, what the expectations are, what the relationship is. He's choosing these words about himself. He's putting words in the servant's mouth about him. Got that? 
the one that had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a nice guy. Doesn't say that. I knew you to be a hard man. He picked those own words about himself. You reap where you do not sow and you gather where you scatter no seed. And I was afraid and went and hid my talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Jesus used his own words to describe himself. You're, you're doggone right, I got expectations. Because you see, I came to this, I, I abandoned, I, I left heaven voluntarily for you. And we won't be mind blown about that till we get there to realize what a sacrifice that was. I left heaven for you. I lived on this planet. Well, it did not receive what I was due. And then I allowed people to falsely accuse and condemn me. And I allowed myself to be tortured to death for you. I died on a cross. I let the nail, nails through my hands and my feet. They stuck a crown of thorns on my, on my scalp. And they crucified me. And I died for your sake. I allowed them to bury me in a tomb. And then I conquered death in the grave. I rose from the grave. I ascended into heaven. And I gave you the Holy Spirit to dwell in you so you wouldn't be alone. You have a helper. You have power. And I allowed you to be conformed to my image through the fruit of the Spirit. And I told you I'm coming back and I gave you all this. And you're right. When I come back, I've got expectations. What did you do with it? If you cannot think of the maximizing behaviors in your life for your eternal life and you're spending it, wasting it all on your vapor life, pay close attention to what he says to that slave. Not me, Jesus. Listen to his word choice. I need you to be a hard man, reap when you don't sow, scattering where you, gathering where you're scattered no seed. I was afraid. I went and hid your talent on the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, uh, I know, it's rough. And say that. Well, you know, I, I, I know you would have tried. No, he didn't say that. His master said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. I did all that? And I gave it to you. I gave you an eternal life in exchange for your vapor life. You did nothing with it to maximize the potential of that. And you go further and you get to the end of it. He says, throw out this worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds like hell. Jesus takes this incredibly serious. And here's the problem. I don't know about you. It is easy for me to get distracted to a vapor life. To get consumed with all the, all the fun and possessions and comforts and struggles and issues and first world problems of a vapor life. And to forget, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No, my vapor life is a vapor life. What am I doing and maximizing for an eternal life? Maximize your potential. Live for, the other verses, live for the well done. And don't be that slave. And the great thing is, you still have potential. You're here today. So even if you have done nothing but vapor stuff your whole life, today, you can pivot. 
Today, you can say, you know what? Starting now, I'm maximizing my potential, not only vapor, but eternal life of my talents and my abilities and my resources. And live for this, because what does he say to the guy who got five and earned five? His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You're faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The guy who had two and earned two, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You're faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. He doesn't say to the guy at two, well, you know, you didn't earn five. See, Jesus doesn't compare. He's not having you compete against. No, he knows you, who you are, where you came from, what you've got, what he's gifted you with. All he wants to see is you, you maximize the potential of you with the Holy Spirit through you for him. And you can applaud that. And there's a principle here in God's economy you need to be aware of. If you are frustrated because I never seem to, and all I seem to, and I just, I'm stuck here, I'm here. There's a principle if you're faithful over little, they'll make you faithful over more, make you faithful over more, make you faithful over more. See, God's reward for your faithfulness is not a flat screen TV. That's here they go tomorrow. Do you know the biggest reward that God gives in his economy, in his kingdom, for your faithfulness? More responsibility for him. And then, okay, you did good with that. Then how about that? You, you related to them good. How about them? You handled this opportunity. How about that? And I'm not just talking church. I'm talking about your life that you're living. How are you managing those opportunities that God brings to you, those people, those relationships, those situations, those challenges? How are you dealing with all that to honor him? Because as you are faithful over little, he will lead you to be faithful over much. And if all your life is is little, ask yourself the honest, difficult question, Am I being faithful over this? Am I maximizing my kingdom potential with the little I have? Or am I just squandering it on a vapor life and that's why I'm stuck? Because it is amazing when people step into that. And, and again, this is a great day to start. And so I want to come full circle to a, a reminder that the spiritual gifts we talked about last week, if you're a Christian, you've got spiritual gifts. And, and they are primarily for the good of the body of Christ. If you haven't noticed, we have a pretty big mission. Go out and change the world. Make followers of Christ out of irreligious people. People don't know, don't care, don't want it. Help them realize that they need a Savior and, and welcome them into the relationship, into the kingdom, and then move forward together for my sake. It's an incredible mission. And we're called to that. But there's incredible joy to that. And I, I, I said last week, I never, I never tire of seeing people and helping people identify, well, here's the, the talents and the abilities God's given me. Here's the resources I have. Maybe I can apply those for eternal impact. And wow, what it does. And sadly, probably 40% of CLCers and even bigger percentage of the average church grower are not doing anything to maximize their kingdom potential in the family. And yet, that's part of what we're intended to do. So if you're wondering, if you're cautious, if you're reserved, whatever, I don't know if there's a place for me, we just thought we'd put together a video of a whole bunch of people. You're going to see yourself in somebody on this screen. And we just basically asked them the question, well, what, do you, what do you enjoy about serving at CLC just with our church family? So watch this. Hey, I 
I love serving as um, with section leaders because I just love the people that I work with. I love being able to reach out and just minister as much as I can. I love serving at CLC because I get to be in a community of wonderful people um, and get to express my creativity. Um, I love seeing the kids grow in their faith and I love to hear all their stories. Why do I like serving on the safety team? Because it's a passion and a calling. I love serving at CLC because I get to do it with family. I love seeing all the families and the students that come that are super happy to be here. I like serving at CLC because I can serve with other people like Christians like myself. The reason why I love serving at CLC is because I'm able to connect with people on a deeper level. I love serving in middle school because if I can keep these guys on the right path um, earlier in their lives than maybe I started out, then I can impact them and start them off on their faith walk. Love serving the Lord, love serving the church, Group, great group of guys, good camaraderie. Um, we just enjoy doing this for the people, for the church, and for God. I love serving at CLC because we're building a foundation of Christ for our future generation of kids. Um, I love serving in this area because you get to connect with people. I love coffee. I love helping people out and see them smile. I love serving on a tech team because I can use the talents and the gifts that I already love doing and I can use them to serve God and others. I love serving because it gives me the opportunity to meet more people and ever since I've served I've met and had a lot more opportunities than I did before I served. I like meeting new people and just um, being a part of a community. I love serving kids life because I like making connections. Just about people, serving people. Community. The little kids are the best. They're yeah, just yeah. full of joy and it's so fun to watch them grow up. One of the reasons why I love serving is because I'm able to give back to the Lord in a way that I feel like He's called me. Come on, give it up for our volunteers. Isn't that amazing? I see a few that I asked, and I caught them off guard. I had so much fun filming that video last week. And uh, as you see from all those uh, responses, everyone had a positive answer to why they love serving in their ministry area. Why is because the Bible says that we were created for good works. We're created to serve. That's what we were designed to do. And each and every one of us has a gift and a calling inside of us to serve the church. And so I want to encourage you that this weekend uh, you apply the message that you just heard from Pastor Stan by getting involved in saying yes to serving here in the church. There's so many different ministry opportunities here. Oftentimes it can feel overwhelming. Where do I go? How do I do this? Um, and what's really cool over 900 of you on a monthly basis serve in some ministry area. And so we want to get more of you guys involved because there are so many benefits to serving in a ministry area in the church. And so I'm going to ask everyone to stand before we dismiss. And I'm going to give you three easy ways to apply this message that you just heard and how you can say yes to serving in a ministry area. So the first way that you are saying, hey, I want to get involved in some way, somehow, you can go to the Welcome Center. My left, your right, Missy and her greeter team, they are ready to find a place for you to serve. There's so many different ministries, and they're going to narrow it down to try to find your niche and where you can serve. The other way that you can do it is you can go to our website, clcdayton.com. 
Com. If you go to our main page and then the next step page, all the way down, join a team. If you click that button, it will take you to a page that looks like this. Weekend services, student life, all these circles, kids life, connection. And you click one of those. Let's say we click student life. And on the next page, you can see all of the different open positions that are available for you to serve. Like middle school right now, they have a ton of different positions that are available. So if you're led to serve in middle school, student life, do that. Click one of those, but there's so many different uh, ones that are available. And the last way, one of the most easiest ways is you uh, download our CLC Dayton app. If you haven't downloaded it yet, what are you waiting for? There's all kinds of good stuff you can give. You can uh, use Pastor Stan's notes um, on there. And then the other button down there is join a team. If you click that, you go to uh, a page that looks like this, Kids Life Support Team, and you can scroll through all of the different positions. Now, if you try to type in the keyword, we're kind of working out some bugs right now, but I just encourage you to scroll through that. Find a place where God is saying, man, I want to use your gifts. I want to use the talents that God has given you. So let me pray for you. So God, thank you so much for this opportunity. And Lord, it's an honor and privilege to serve your church. Lord, with our finances, with the talents, with our gifts. And Lord, I pray for those who might be on the fringe, who might be feeling a little bit fearful about whether or not this is for me or whether I should take that next step. Lord, I just pray that you would just begin to uh, drop in what ministry area that they need to serve. Lord, that tug on their heart. Lord, I just pray right now that they would say yes to what you have for them. Each one of us has a gift and a talent inside of us that we were created to use and to serve the church. So God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we love you guys and we'll see you back here on Wednesday night.